Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Panapod here at the National Disability Rights Network. My name is Sue Ann, and I am the Summer 2021 Policy Intern here at NDRN. Today, we have our very own Cheryl Bates-Harris for a conversation around competitive integrated employment. Thanks for joining us, Cheryl. Thank you for having me, Sue Ann. I appreciate the invitation. I'm Cheryl Bates-Harris with the National Disability Rights Network. And once upon a time, I worked in a sheltered workshop and thought that it was probably the best thing since sliced bread. But that was about 35 years ago before I started to understand that sheltered workshops are isolating individuals with disabilities, paying them sub-minimum wage, doing menial work that large businesses typically don't want to do. So they think they're doing a favor by sending work to sheltered workshops. And I think my, my lesson from working at a sheltered workshop was that there was very little interest in actually promoting these people and allowing them true opportunities for employment. While I was there, I did job placement and I thought my job was to place people with disabilities um, into competitive integrated employment. And yet when individuals who were working in the sheltered workshop came to me and asked me to help move them into competitive employment, I was called into the principal's office, i.e. the executive director's office and told to leave our employees alone we needed them to complete the contract work that we had and that my job was to work with the individuals who came through our training program. So consequently, I moved on from there because it just didn't seem right that some people were being offered the opportunity for real jobs and yet some very capable individuals in sheltered employment were basically stuck there for life because nobody wanted them to leave. So let's say if a sheltered workshop wanted to change their model to a competitive integrated one, what does that look like? That, that's an interesting question, and that's something that isn't going to happen overnight. First of all, it is going to involve kind of a, a paradigm shift of thinking that people with disabilities no longer need to be segregated and protected from the real world. So it would require some philosophical changes in thought and and convincing or having the staff at the agency adopt and believe in the full employment of people with disabilities. And then from there, some additional resources and some creative thinking in terms of the fact that when you're running a sheltered workshop, your staff ratio is you know typically one staff person to every 15 or 20 individuals in order to really do competitive integrated employment jobs are obtained one person at a time so it's much more labor intensive in terms of staffing ratios lower staffing ratios is going to require some additional resources and some funding i think the other part of it is also that staff who have traditionally worked and supervised employees in a sheltered workshop are used to looking at things from a production standpoint. And when you convert to competitive integrated employment, you need to look at it through a human resource development lens, which 
is a whole lot different and will require some training in order to upskill the skills of the individuals that are working with people with disabilities. So it's a gradual process. It's not something that you can, can do overnight, but it's really important that it occur because young adults of today have benefited from free public education and their expectations are they don't want to perpetuate the old thinking and you know focus on the disability. They want real opportunities. So let's say if a sheltered workshop um, wanted to transition out and they wanted to really help their employers find other employment, what resources or supports are available to those employers? The first place that I would start if I was a sheltered workshop would be by contacting the businesses that we are doing contract work for, because clearly the work that goes into a sheltered workshop is legitimate work that some business needs done. Now, the fact that they send it to a sheltered workshop to do out of sight, out of mind, doesn't negate the fact that it is legitimate work. So I would start by contacting those businesses and saying, let's change our business model a little bit. Instead of you sending this work to the sheltered workshop where we warehouse the materials, we supervise the employees doing the work, and we just give you a finished product. How about hiring a few of our individuals to do that same work? But instead of doing it for us, they do it for you as a regular employee within your facility. And I think that you will find that once people with disabilities get into the real business setting or the real you know, job setting, that they have skills far beyond what anybody imagined. And people will demonstrate a natural interest in the work that's going on around them. They'll be able to interact with people and their curiosity will allow them to demonstrate that there's other things that they can do besides just the menial part of the labor that you send to the sheltered workshop. But of course, um, employers may be reluctant to hire them because they've never dealt with a person with a disability and like, oh my God, what happens if you know, they can't do the work or what happens if they hurt themselves? The sheltered workshop could offer support in the form of job coaches that go into the business and support the people with disabilities that are working there. And when I mean support, it's not doing the job for the person with the disability, but demonstrating to the person with the disability how the work is done, what they need to do with their work product when they're finished with it, encouraging them to work a little faster or to stay focused. And it can also be things like helping the person organize themselves so that they can get to the work site. Because oftentimes it's the bus that's picked them up in the morning and taken them to the sheltered workshop. Now they may need some travel training in order to be able to utilize what public transportation is available. Now their work hours might shift a little bit, so they may need some kind of reminders or ticklers to remember that you have to now go to the bus stop 30 minutes earlier. So there's all kinds of supports that a job coach can provide to the individual who's working to make sure that they are successful. And it's also reminding the employer that there are public 
supports that are available. For instance, if somebody demonstrates an interest in doing a particular job, and I'm going to, to use an example of say, operating a piece of machinery, but they have limited motion or limited use of one particular hand, it's possible that through the job accommodations network, they could look at what are some possible accommodations to the particular job of that person that could be done. So many of the accommodations that a person might need to be successful don't cost a lot of money, but if you've never done the accommodation before, you don't know what it is. And there's lots of experts out there that can help with that. There's also something called a disabled access credit that actually would allow the employer who's paying the normal wages access to tax credits in order to make modifications to their work site in order to encourage and enable the employment of people with disabilities. So the change from sheltered workshop to competitive employment can be a little bit complicated, but there's lots of resources out there to help. What we really need though, is for businesses to believe in the full employment of people with disabilities and to also not discriminate against people with disabilities who are otherwise qualified to do the work. And many individuals with disabilities have no idea what they're capable of doing because they've never had the opportunity to do anything other than the prescribed work in the sheltered workshop. When uh, competitive integrated employment is implemented, what does that look like? That looks like individuals with disabilities working in the same jobs as their non-disabled peers, earning the same wages as their non-disabled peers, having the same benefits as their non-disabled peers, and individuals with disabilities obtaining a job one job at a time. One job equals one person. It's, it's ceasing to do the group placements of people where we're going to place six or eight people doing landscaping for rest stop areas. It's competitive integrated employment is what each of us get. We apply for jobs, we interview for jobs, and we're hired. And that should be exactly the same process for people with disabilities because they have the ability and have demonstrated there's thousands of jobs in the U.S. economy that people can do, but you, you're not going to get competitive integrated employment if we're still thinking that everybody needs supervision and everybody has to work in a group where that supervision can be closely provided. So it's one person, one job, real wages. So explain to us why um, CIE or competitive integrated employment is beneficial. You uh, kind of got into why it's beneficial for the persons with disabilities. Um, what about the employers or society as a whole? Well, this country is really at a, a critical error where there is, believe it or not, a shortage of the labor market. And there's going to be a huge um, retirement tsunami of the baby boomers. So Many businesses have had to look towards both immigrants for filling positions as well as senior citizens. There's lots of jobs out there. There's lots of new growing areas in the economy and employers are only going to make money if they get their business needs met. 
and people with disabilities can be significant contributors to their bottom line. We're not asking employers to hire somebody just because they have a disability. We're asking employers to hire people who are otherwise qualified to do the work, would love to do the work, and will contribute to their bottom line. So there's lots of people who've been denied the opportunity to work, and they really want to. And, and we are well beyond the days where we believe that segregating people and, and being very paternalistic to protect them is the right thing to do. It's not. Competitive integrated employment means that people will be contributing to their economy, they'll be paying taxes, they'll be participating in their community. It's just a much better option than keeping people in poverty by paying sub-minimum wages and keeping them in segregated employment where they don't get the full benefits of participation in society. Are there examples or models of CIE that are out there that exist? I think there are lots of different models and there is not necessarily a right way or a wrong way to do it. I think a lot of it really has to do with commitment of and belief of the ability of people with disabilities. One very, very good model that I really like that leads to or contributes towards competitive integrated employment is the project search model. And the project search model originated out of the Children's Hospital in Cincinnati. And what they, what they did there was they brought a number of individuals with very significant disabilities into the hospital setting for basically a nine-month period of time. And I believe there were three periods of rotation. And instead of bringing these people into the hospital and saying, we're going to teach you how to do housekeeping, they actually placed them into different areas of the hospital where there was a need for work to be done. For instance, sterilizing and putting together kits for individuals that would be undergoing surgery, filling the inventory supplies throughout each of the nurses stations. They're one of the positions involved taking apart and disinfecting and then reassembling the incubation neonatal intensive care unit, putting those together. And so it's bringing people into areas and training them how to do the jobs that are specifically needed in the hospital. That's how Project Search started, but now they've expanded to all kinds of different occupations. There are Project Search units um, utilizing different banking skills and customer service jobs. Um, the Department of Transportation in Delaware has a project search unit where they have people working everything from planning and, and development of new transportation to helping develop transit routes, their system for managing and dispatching, I mean, those kinds of things. So project search uh, gives individuals with significant disabilities an opportunity to actually try different kinds of jobs that lead to real jobs within the community. One of the key components to competitive integrated employment is really taking a look at what are the individual skills. And many individuals, if you ask them, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
they're not going to be able to tell you because nobody's ever asked them that question before. So really taking the time to develop what is this person all about? What, what gets them excited in their day? You know, when do they really light up? So when you can develop and build a picture of what are they really interested in? What do they really like? Then you can start to think creatively around what kind of job would be appropriate for that person that's going to match their skills and their interests. So the real big point with competitive integrated employment is it's a one-on-one process and it does require some thinking. If people are self-directed and they can identify their skills and their interests, then those skills and interests should be acknowledged and not ignored. And people should not be scripted into jobs they don't want to do. Different states have approached competitive integrated employment differently. And employment first is kind of the original impetus towards moving to competitive employment because employment first is a philosophy, first of all, that believes in the first dollar of support should go towards supporting employment. And what it does then is it directs agencies, all of the agencies, the State Vocational Rehabilitation Agency, the Medicaid Agency, the Department of Education, the Office of Developmental Disabilities, or whatever it happens to be called, and and even the Social Security Administration to work together to, to focus the dollars for support on moving people into individual jobs, real jobs, and real wages. What can listeners do to find out more about what's going on in their state? I think there's a number of things they can do. Certainly there is legislation that is happening across the country around eliminating the legality of paying individuals subminimum wage. And there are seven or eight states that have eliminated subminimum wage. The elimination of subminimum wage, I firmly believe, will further contribute to the employment of people with disabilities because businesses will no longer be able to take advantage of people with disabilities and make lots of money on the backs of people with disabilities. So then the whole concept of segregation loses its shine. And if you're paying higher wages, then employers will start to think that maybe we we don't have the capacity to keep employing these people in a segregated setting. So I think looking at subminimum wage laws is one of the issues. Certainly tracking and looking at How are the different departments of the state spending their money? For instance, Medicaid dollars are notorious for supporting segregated employment. Do we really, in the year 2021, want to continue to to use federal dollars to basically keep people in poverty by segregating them and holding them to a low standard of behavior or expectation. You can also look at some of the grassroots organizations in your states. APSI, which stands for the Association of People Supporting Employment First, is probably the only national organization whose sole focus is on the employment of people with disabilities. Certainly looking at and challenging your state vocational rehabilitation agency. Ever since 1973, 
there has been a stipulation in the Rehabilitation Act that says if a VR agency does not have enough money to meet the needs of all applicants and or clients of the State Vocational Rehabilitation Agency, then they are to provide services to individuals with the most significant disabilities first. And historically, individuals in segregated employment have never been to vocational rehabilitation. They've never collected $200 worth of services. And so the VR agencies in not providing services to individuals with most significant disabilities are failing to meet the intent. So holding your VR agency responsible for providing services as they're required and having the VR agency send other individuals with disabilities who may just need a job, sending them to the um, generic workforce system instead. People need to understand that if you're a person with a disability who just needs a job, you don't need VR services. And the people who do need VR services should no longer be shuttled to a subminimum wage employer. So it's making sure that everybody is held accountable for fulfilling the mission of what they're supposed to do. So in closing, what is one thing that you want listeners to take away from this podcast? I want people to understand that people with disabilities are just like everybody else, that they all have skills and talents that they can contribute to employment, that they can make contributions to society, that they can work. And it's time that we start looking and assume the full employability of people, because quite frankly, most of the people who are in segregated employment settings and or being paid subminimum wage are recipients of SSI, Supplemental Security Income, and in some instances, Social Security Disability Insurance. When we keep people in segregated employment and, and or out of employment, we are dooming them to a life of poverty. And the ADA gave us the promise of full inclusion um, into both the social and economic landscapes of the land. And until we allow people with disabilities to work to their full potential, we are dooming them to a life of poverty. And I do not believe that a life of poverty is really what we want for our children or our family members who have disabilities. And competitive employment is a viable option. We just have to believe in the value of people with disabilities and stop treating them like second-class citizens who do not deserve time or investment. That was beautiful. Thank you so much.